0: Good morning. Wonderful to see everybody here today to uh, gather on a cool, a little bit rainy morning. Uh, Not exactly the kind of weather we expect this time of year, but uh, something we needed uh, and with which we've been blessed. Uh, We do have uh, folks visiting with us today. We want you to know how thankful we are that you have come to be a part of our worship and participate with us in our study of the book of Daniel. We've been working our way through Daniel uh, a chapter at a time Uh, this morning we're not doing the entire chapter and I'll explain why in just a moment But one of the things we learned about Daniel from Daniel chapter 6 is that he was a man of prayer Remember that it was prayer that got him thrown in the lion's den It's because he refused to obey the king's edict uh, That he was no one was to pray to any god or man other than the king himself for 30 days Daniel insisted on doing what he always did. He went to his house and got down on his knees and prayed three times a day. That's why he ended up being thrown to the lions. But in Daniel 9, we get to hear an actual prayer of this man of God. Not just knowing that he prayed, but now we get to hear how he prayed. And what a great opportunity that is for us to listen in, not just to the prayer of a righteous man, which James says has great power in its effects. Not just the prayer of a righteous man, but the prayer of a prophet, the prayer of a spokesman for God, uh, the prayer of a man who was so completely dedicated to doing what God had called him to do. That's so valuable to us because which of us doesn't always feel the need to learn to pray? No matter how long we've been doing it, no matter how much we've thought about it, no matter how many classes we've been in on it, no matter how many sermons we've heard about it, we still find ourselves in the same place as the disciples of Jesus in Luke 11, 1, who came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And they were men of prayer, I'm sure already, because they were devout Jews. And yet they wanted more. They, needed, they knew that there was something else that they needed. And we find ourselves in that same situation all the time, don't we? Always feeling a need that we need to grow in our prayer. And Daniel's prayer helps us to do that. Paul wrote that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And that's why God's Spirit intercedes for us, because we're weak. And we need Him to intercede for us, and we're thankful that He does. So what a blessing to get to learn something about prayer from someone like Daniel, who was so determined to pray that he was willing to give his life for prayer. Now, in the ninth chapter, and here's why we're not going to look at the whole chapter today. Daniel's prayer is followed by the vision of the seventy weeks. All right, and I hope you didn't come today expecting me to explain all that to you, because I'm not going to. Actually, I'm not going to next week either, but. Uh, what happens in, in looking at Daniel 9 is the 70 weeks tend to get all the attention, right? That's the most controversial part of the book of Daniel. What are the 70 weeks? How long were they? How do we calculate that? How has it been calculated down through history and all that other stuff? But I want you to notice that the 70 weeks occupies only four verses in this entire chapter, only four verses, and the prayer of Daniel 16, And what a shame it is that so often we spend all of our time focusing on the 70 weeks and ignore Daniel's prayer. Something's out of balance there, isn't it? So we're not going to make that mistake today. We're going to talk about Daniel's prayer today, and we'll talk about the 70 weeks next week. And hopefully by then I'll have some idea what it's about. But verses 1 and 2 of Daniel 9 tell us the reason for Daniel's prayer. He prayed this particular prayer mostly because he realized that Israel's exile was about to come to an end. Now remember, he went into exile as a young man, and he's now about 80. And he realizes that the exile is about to come to an end. How did he know that? Well, verse 1 says uh, that his prayer was in the first year of King Darius. Now, chapter 5 in verse 31 tells us that Darius became king the night that Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians in 539 B.C. 539 B.C. Daniel went into captivity in 605 B.C. That means it has been 66 years since the captivity began. Daniel has been calculating that, and he knew that the end was near because he'd been reading his Bible. Look at what he says in verse 2. He had perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. He had been reading Jeremiah, and he saw from Jeremiah that the uh, exile was going to last several years. Did you know that even prophets read their Bible? What a great lesson for us. Even prophets read their Bible. Even prophets had something to learn from the word of God, just uh, like Daniel did from the prophecies of Daniel. And isn't this amazing that here we have the words of one prophet telling us that he read the words of another prophet. And notice that he calls uh, Jeremiah's writing the word of the Lord. He clearly believed that Jeremiah was speaking forth the word of God. Here's what Daniel read. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Jeremiah 25, verse 12. After 70 years, he said, I'll punish them. I'm going to punish you through them. Then after 70 years, I will punish them. Here's another one. Chapter 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So there is a question In the minds of many about whether the 70 years was intended to be an exact is it going to be exactly on the dot 70 years or is it an approximate 70 years I don't really think it makes a lot of difference the point is Daniel could tell from reading Jeremiah that it was going to be about a 70 year exile so he knows that it's almost over and his study of Jeremiah led him to pray you know reading the Bible ought to always lead us into prayer Because when we read Scripture, we come to find out more of what we need to pray about, don't we? Have you ever found yourself reading something from the Psalms and, as Bill mentioned this morning, then being led into prayer because of it? Or reading something about the life of Jesus and feeling so grateful for the life of Jesus and being led to pray and to thank God for that? So Jeremiah was led to prayer because he'd been reading Scripture. But he also prayed at this time because he knew the reason. For the exile he knew why the captivity had occurred and he knew that also from reading scripture before jeremiah gave the promise of restoration in jeremiah 25 he warned of the coming exile and he gave the reason for it he said therefore thus says the lord of hosts because you have not obeyed my words behold i will send to you all the tribes of the north declares the lord And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. Why? Because you have not obeyed my word. Daniel knew that if the exile were to end, he was going to have to reverse that. That disobedience was going to have to be reversed. They were going to have to get right with God before the promise of restoration could be fulfilled. So his prayer then is a prayer of confession, a beautiful prayer, a lengthy prayer by scriptural standards, one of the most moving. Well, it's obvious as you read this prayer, Daniel wasn't just saying a prayer. We do that sometimes, don't we? We find ourselves just saying a prayer. We're kind of reciting something that we've heard before or something that's habitual with us. And we're just kind of saying it. Daniel's not doing that. Daniel is praying. And there's a lot of things going on as Daniel is praying. For one thing, he was remembering the covenant promises that God had made to Israel. They are very much on his mind. And here's how we can tell. This prayer is saturated with the language of the covenant. You may not have noticed that in reading it, but it's just saturated with the language of God's covenant made at Mount Sinai with Israel. This prayer is the only place in Daniel where the Hebrew name Yahweh is occurred. That's the name by which God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. That is his covenant name by which he was known to the people of Israel. When Moses asked, who will I say sent me? He was told, tell them that I am Yahweh sent you. And so that's, uh, that's the name by which he was known to his people Israel, the special name. God is the generic name, but his name, his covenant name is Yahweh. And you find that name mentioned 16 times in 17 verses in this prayer, 16 times, but only here in the book of Daniel, only here in the book of Daniel. So obviously, this is very much on Daniel's mind. Not only that, but he mentions the covenant and the law of Moses three times. And he says, God brought your people out of the land of Egypt by a mighty hand, an obvious direct reference to the Exodus. You brought your people out of Egypt by a mighty hand. Now, why all the covenant language in this prayer? Two reasons, I think. First of all, he's showing his confidence in God's promises. He's showing his confidence that all those promises made centuries before were yet going to be kept. God was not going to drop the ball. God was not going to fall down in the keeping of any of his promises to Israel. But the second reason is he's asking God to now act in accordance with those promises. You delivered your people once, he says, Now he's asking him to do it again. When we pray, something similar ought to happen. We ought to pray in a covenant context. What does that mean? That means that we ought to be praying with the realization that we are in a relationship with the God who made us, that we are in a relationship with the God who saved us through his son Jesus Christ, and that what we pray reflects those truths. What we pray reflects that sense of relationship that we have with God. Otherwise, our prayers may just turn out to be a list of random requests. God grant me this. God bless me this way. God help me do this. You know, without the, without the thought of the context, we need that covenant context. And that's the way that Daniel is praying The God that we know and appreciate is the God to whom we pray. He's the God who's made promises to us. He's the God who keeps his promises. So Daniel was praying, being reminded of the covenant promises of God. Second thing that Daniel was doing as he prayed is he was being honest. He was being honest. Honest about his people and honest about himself. He knew that he couldn't hide the truth. And so his prayer has but one major theme. The confession of sin. Now, remember what a confession means. Confessing sin to God means acknowledging to be true what God already knows is true. You get that? We're confessing, we're acknowledging to be true what God already knows is true. We're not telling God anything when we tell him that we've sinned. We're not telling God anything he doesn't know when we get specific and mention particular sins. He already knows that, but he wants us to acknowledge that and to confess it before him. You see, Israel went into exile because of their sins, and Daniel knows that that has to be acknowledged before the restoration can take place. Honest confession is our way of getting on the same page with God. Honest confession is our way of opening ourselves up to, our bless- to the blessings of God. As long as we keep ourselves closed And we won't confess our sins. We won't be blessed. David talked about that in the Psalms. When I confess not my sin, he said, your hand was heavy upon me. Night and day, I confessed my sin. And you took it away. That's how we open ourselves up to God's blessing, is through this honesty, this confession. Look at all the ways that Daniel says we have sinned in this prayer. He says we have done wrong We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened. We have committed treachery. We have not obeyed your voice. We have transgressed your law. We have refused to obey your voice. We have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, and we have done wickedly. It seems like he just kind of almost ran out of ways to say it, doesn't it? But he just couldn't think of enough ways to say, God, we've done wrong. But I want you to notice the we. Daniel's including himself in this confession. Now, Daniel was not part of the generation that caused the exile. Do you get that? He was not part of the generation that caused the exile. So why is he saying we? Why is he confessing his own sins? Because he prayed as part of the collective people of God. You know, sin has a collective effect, whether we recognize it or not. Whether you are the one who commits the sin or not, if you are being sinful, it has an effect on those around you. It'll have an effect on your family. It'll have an effect on the church. It'll have an effect on your neighborhood. When when we sin, it has a collective effect. And we have to realize that our behavior, our conduct, our sinfulness affects other people as well. And so we always need to be praying in a collective sense, not just saying they. You know, God, I'm so sorry that my ancestors were, were such bums. I'm so sorry they messed up so bad. I'm so sorry that they put us in this uh, situation that we're in now. So what Daniel said, he said, God, we, we have sinned. We didn't listen to you. We know that we are sinners and we need forgiveness. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, part of that prayer was, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We always need that, don't we? Because it's not just our sins we need to be confessing, it's our sinfulness. It's our sinfulness, that constant tendency that we have to sin against God. So confession of sin needs to be a constant part of our praying. Uh, Just as Jesus taught and just as Daniel did. Whatever is amiss, confess it. Bring it before God. Let him take it away. Open yourself up to his blessing. And then something else Daniel was doing. He He was being very specific As he prayed, he was making a specific request, and he made that request boldly. He didn't just pray, Lord, please bless us, and then then go on. He had a specific need, a specific request, and he was not afraid to ask for it. Look at verse 3 of chapter 9. He prayed for mercy, but a specific form of mercy, the restoration of Jerusalem and of Judah, that's what he's asking for. That's what he's asking for. You know, one of the reasons I think sometimes we pray as generally as we do, because there's no tangible measurement as to whether God has answered or not. And we don't want to look back and say, well, I'm just not sure whether God answered that prayer or not. We, do, we just want to avoid that vagueness. We just say, God bless us. And at the end, we can say, well, yeah, God's blessed us. But... Daniel says, God, I'm praying for the restoration of Jerusalem. I'm praying for the restoration of Judah. I'm praying for your people to go back to their land. He prayed for mercy, but a particular form of mercy. Look at verse 12. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. That is the focal point of his prayer, the restoration of Jerusalem. Verses 17 and 18 Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. You remember back in chapter 6 when Daniel prayed? Remember how he prayed? Remember that he got down on his knees and he prayed toward Jerusalem. He prayed in anticipation of that day when God would restore the city, restore the nation, restore the people. Now, we might wonder, why did Daniel need to ask God to do this when God had already promised to do it in the book of Jeremiah. Before the desolation ever happened. He said, I'll restore it. Why did Daniel then need to say anything about it? Why didn't Daniel just sit back and say, well, okay, the time is coming. Let's see what happens. Let's wait and let God do his thing. The answer is because very often God wants us to act or waits to act until we ask him to. He waits to act until we ask him to. He wants us to demonstrate our trust in him and our trust in his promises by asking him to fulfill his promises. Now, when you stop and think about that, it kind of makes you wonder what God might be doing in my life and in your life and in the life of this church if we just ask him. What might he be doing if we just asked him? We were just bold enough to say, God, I'm praying for this. I'm asking for this blessing. I'm asking for this help. I'm asking for this restoration. I'm asking for this. I'm asking for this person to be brought to Christ. I'm asking for this home to be strengthened. I'm, I'm asking for this person's health to be restored. Are we bold enough to ask specifically? Tell God what you need, the desires of your heart. Make your requests and do it with boldness, Paul says. Remember that you're praying to a God who loves you and longs to bless you just as Daniel was. Don't pray puny prayers. That's an insult to God. Pray big prayers and do it boldly. And the last thing I'll mention, when Daniel was praying, He was praying for the ultimate goal of all prayer. What's the ultimate goal of all prayer? Getting what we ask? No. The ultimate goal of all prayer is to bring about the glory of God. That's the ultimate goal of all prayer. That God will be glorified as he grants us the things that we pray and ask him to do. You see, Daniel wasn't just asking for Jerusalem's restoration for the welfare of the Jews. He wanted God to be glorified by restoring the welfare of the people of Israel. Why? Because blessing his people in this way would demonstrate his faithfulness to his promises. It would demonstrate his power. It would demonstrate that these were his covenant people. When God made the covenant with Abraham, he had bound himself to these people. He bound himself to these. Now think about that. God bound himself to these people. So when they looked good, what he looked good. Do you have any idea how much confidence God has placed in people? That that opening to the book of Job, when Satan appears before. God, and God says, where have you been? And he says, I've been walking up and down on the earth and going to and fro on it. And he says, do you consider my servant Job? And we may not like to put it this way, but it's kind of as if God is daring him. Saying, I'll bet you can't get this one. Because what Satan is arguing is, God, you're not worth this man's loyalty. You have to buy his faith. You have to buy his favor by protecting him. But you let me at him, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, have at it. Because he trusted his servant, Job. That doesn't mean people always make God look good. We don't always make God look good. Israel didn't always make God look good. God had bound himself to these people so that when they looked good, he looked good. And God would be glorified by fulfilling his promises in his people. Remember the way the book of Daniel opens, telling about Nebuchadnezzar's victory over Jehoiakim of Judah? And how he sacked the temple and how he took some of those vessels from the temple. And what did he do with them? He took them and put them in the temple of his God. As a way of saying, my God's bigger than yours. My God gave me victory. Your God lost. And God was willing to allow that. For a time. He bound himself to these people. Verse 17 says, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. For your own sake. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. Your city, your people are called by your name. So God, bring about this restoration so that you'll be glorified. Daniel wanted God to be honored. Not by a devastated city that lay in ruins, but by a restored city that demonstrated his faithfulness to his people and his power to overcome the greatest kings of the earth. And to that end, he prayed. He prayed for God's glorification. You see, in the end, prayer's not about us. We think it is. That's how we are. We think everything's about us. Prayer's not about us. In the end, prayer's about God, prayer's an act of worship. Prayer is a form of humbling ourselves before God. Prayer is a way of exercising that form of worship in order to honor the God to whom we pray. And when God grants those requests, it is to his glory and he answers our prayers and petitions and therefore is glorified for his great power and glory. That's what Daniel was doing. He was saying, God, bring about your own glory for your own sake. Grant the request that I'm now making. Aren't you thankful that we can listen in on Daniel's prayer? Just one of the many ways that God teaches us to pray. And remember that Daniel's prayer is part of that covenant relationship. The blessing of prayer itself is part of that relationship. That's one of the reasons God wants you and me in relationship with him today. So that we can have that kind of of relationship where we pray to him, and where he blesses us. And if you don't have it today, start by following Jesus. Start by confessing your faith in him, and being baptized into him. And enter into that covenant relationship. What did Jesus say when he sent out his disciples? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, into a relationship with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit and then begin learning how to pray and learn how to be blessed. If you're ready to do that today, why don't you come? Let's stand and sing. I am resolved.